So one of Saturday Night Live's greatest advantages on television is also its greatest handicap. And by that, I'm talking about anticipation. Anticipation is what builds ratings for the shows. The shows don't rate well because they're good, because by the time the show has aired, whoever is going to watch it is already watching it. And people aren't tuning in halfway through because they hear it's good. They tune in because of anticipation. And that's something that a lot of other comedy shows don't have. Coming into this week, we've got a lot of anticipation. Melissa McCarthy has been fantastic she's joining the five timers club maybe they'll do something we're going to see sean spicer for the fourth time is she going to do something with trump is is alec baldwin going to be there so a lot of anticipation and i gotta say a lot of times anticipation is what kills it for me this the this last two weeks has been an interesting one which we're going to break down because the first one chris pine i had no anticipation and yet i was still disappointed and then we have melissa mccarthy where i have a lot of anticipation and while it's not one of the great episodes, it really, really delivered for me. So they really know what they're doing. A lot of fun here. Uh, and we'll see as we come into this where we were anticipating really great stuff, where they let us down, where they surprised us. Uh, and it's it's going to be a fun time to break down before we get to the penultimate episode of Saturday Night Live. I'm your host, Rich Tackenberg of the SNL podcast. I hope I've already lowered your anticipation for the next hour and a half as we break down episodes 19 and 20. And joining me as always, the great Mr. Mike Bloom. Hello, Mike. I, I thought you meant Spocko. I was ready for Bobby Moynihan to come about because uh, he might he might be out of a job soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we can even sort of set up the premise here because, as everyone knows, uh, he, Bobby's my favorite cast member. Uh, his uh, CBS sitcom that was announced this week has been picked up to air, uh, so there is a very very good chance that uh, next week will be the last Bobby Moynihan episode. And I think as we look at the Chris Pratt. Uh, the Chris Pine. Boy, that's a Oh, no. Oh, he's not as, that Chris. <laughs> I, know, I know. As we look at the Chris Pine episode, you know, a very Bobby heavy uh, episode, which made me laugh, but also a little bittersweet. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like when we've been talking about SNL in the year 2017 so far, I feel like we've seen Bobby here and there, but he's kind of had a bit of a dearth in terms of material, which I think was sort of surprising. I think when you and Rob did that podcast after the double firing of Taron Killam and Jay Farrow, I think you were sort of saying, both as a Bobby Sicka fan, but also as a as an old fan, that this could be an opportunity for Bobby to really step in and take up the material. And, you know, he had a couple things. I mean, he was part of one of the biggest sketches of the season, David Pumpkins. But I feel like we've been missing out on a little bit of Bobby, and I feel like this might be the reason why. That being said, considering what he's moving on into, will we get a Bobby tribute goodbye show next time? I'm not entirely sure. Will we see a drunk uncle at weekend update? I'm going to say most likely. I think that'll be the extent of it. I think maybe he'll mix it up and he'll give us a goodbye riblet, but I think you're right. I think it's going to be drunk uncle to close out season 42. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, speaking towards your initial monologue, just in your overall thoughts on the episode, I think I was actually higher on both episodes than you were going back to my, of course, always correct SNL rankings list. These actually both came in pretty high. I had Chris Pine uh, around number nine, around the middle, hmm. uh, right, right below the double feature of Louis C.K. and Jimmy Fallon. What I will say about Chris Pine is that I thought it was a solid episode there was maybe one sketch that really stuck out to me though that might be my own personal proclivities that i'm sure we're going to talk about but i feel like across the board there weren't really any stinkers to me whereas all those all the shows below 
Chris Pine, I thought, at least had one oh boy, to use your own criteria type of sketch. Melissa McCarthy, for me, I had a lot of fun with this. This, for me, came all the way up to number four, right below the triumvirate of Dave Chappelle, Tom Hanks, Aziz Ansari. Was it as good as those episodes? I don't think so, but there were some really, really strong sketches in there. I think Melissa McCarthy proves just... She's a freaking powerhouse, man. I mean, she killed absolutely every sketch that she was in she was the star of every sketch you could tell that the writing unlike previous melissa mccarthy episodes i mean even the one last year that she did i thought was good but i feel like this time the writing really supported her and i really enjoyed this i really enjoyed both episodes overall which is why they're sort of in the top half that being said going back to your idea of anticipation my anticipation for both shows were very low Uh, again the mccarthy show last time was fine but not great and chris pine while he had done some comedy beforehand i wasn't really expecting him to wow me so consider me surprised on both fronts well let's jump into chris pine i'm gonna be interested because you said that you really felt like there were no stinkers in this uh, episode so i think you and i have different definition of the term stinker so i'll be interested (laughs) to sort of get in it uh you know we start out technically political because it's a political show for our cold open but really not uh political in any way uh we have the morning joe cold open um and i gotta say the mvp in this sketch as often as the case is my wife genevieve because she watches morning joe and previous to the sketch had told me about this whole idea that joe and mika these two co-hosts that seem to not like each other at times had actually gotten engaged so i feel like i was part of the point one percent of the viewing audience that knew what this sketch was mocking not because i'm smart but because i'm married to someone who is did you know did you know what this was mike when when the sketch started count me part of the 99.9 percent because yeah i absolutely did not i'm not a cable news watcher so i had no i knew of morning joe but i had no idea if if mika brzezinski and joe scarborough were actually real names or if they were just made up (laughs) names uh so i think in terms of like a pure game of the sketch i thought it was fine but i had no idea this had actual real ramifications into the show proper yeah. not only did i did i not know anything about this but uh jen was telling me that she thought that um um uh kate mckinnon's mika was actually a very good impression so i thought mm. that was uh, telling now for someone who knew about it but did not have any horse in that uh, race uh you know i thought it was novel uh i will say an early good sign for me of what was to come in this episode was the save uh by M. MVP facial uh, facial expression Bobby Moynihan mm. who uh, is the first one to give us the what the hell is going on here look which uh, which immediately made me giggle and uh, and really kind of saved it for me so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought this was fine and and fun I uh, like the energy between the two of them so uh, and, and maybe taking a break from the Trump stuff actually is going to be one of the things that gives us a big lift as we get into the next episode which we'll talk about a little bit later so this was a, a fine kind of nothing way to get into things yep couldn't agree more we talked last time about how how can SNL do Trump without necessarily having to bring Alec Baldwin and put him in makeup and hair for our however yes. long to you know yeah. get into Trump himself and this is a way to do it of sort of not only you they had the trump in there i mean alec baldwin literally phoned it in as the john miller character Mm -hmm. but to be be able to parody something else from the political scene so i'm happy that they did that like you said very novel concept and kate and alex are very adept performers kate was sort of channeling her last
last call a recurring sketch with you know trying to bite down on alex mm-hmm. moffat's nose maybe she missed that but i thought like you said fine game i think a, a, a fine opening to a sketch overall but it made me hopeful i think for the larger meta sense that they'll they're hopefully going to be able to do political stuff without outright bringing in donald trump especially moving into season 43 Exactly, exactly. So we come out of this, we come to our monologue. Monologues have been traditionally a little bit rougher. Uh, and I thought, uh, you know, and, and as I've always talked about, you know, often this is where we see actors that want to be known as singers. Chris Pine has sung in movies before, uh, but we're going to see him sing here uh, and in other places, as we'll talk about. <laughs> Many other yeah, places. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that uh, I thought that this was a wonderful, uh, and the um, the backstory to this is on Friday when my wife and I were talking about whether we would watch the show at 8.30 or 11.30 because SNL's live on both coasts. Uh, she asked me who was hosting and I said, uh, Chris Pratt is hosting to, uh, <laughs> to uh, uh, because Guardians of the Galaxy is coming out this weekend or had just come out. So uh, I host a podcast about Saturday Night Live and I confused the Chris's hosting. So I thought this was wonderful prescient uh, and I thought he really was willing to make fun of himself. Uh, so uh, yeah, I thought this was really fun. Yeah, like going back to this idea of novel, it's something that hadn't been done before. I love how he addresses that type of stuff. Uh, I'm sure that the applause sign was turned on because Chris Pine totally threw the audience under the bus and made them look stupid by making them clap for the Guardians of the Galaxy plug. I thought I'm not that Chris was fun, not necessarily not necessarily funny song. I was a little distracted by the Uptown Girl uh, similarities. I think uh, MVP for me, Pete Davidson coming in, uh, just him selling it with like the hey, are you this one? And Chris Pine's like, no, I'm not that one. He goes, oh, no, I think that one's Ryan Reynolds. Uh, I I think the cast member cameos were fun. But yeah, really fun idea for a sketch. Uh, We're going to have a theme, I think, in these two monologues that they're going for new concepts, which I know you said that things might be a little rocky. But again, I always have to admire SNL for trying new things. And they definitely are doing that this season. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, for me, the uh, I will. I'm actually going to put it in the uh, boy uh, category, even though it was performed well. Was going to the Leslie Jones doesn't know who the host is well for the one thousandth time. <laughs> Leslie Jones has not been on one thousand episodes yet, and yet still she's done it a thousand times. I thought there was so much more fun to be had by other people, so I I really felt we could have skipped that. But again, fun good. Good energy. I love uh, the Billy Joel shout out of the most bizarre uptown girl parody ever. Uh, so really fun, really fun. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And spe- and and not terribly long. Speaking of uh, of uh, fun and short, we come to our first live sketch. Where in the world is Kelly Ann Conway? Um, uh, I am too old to have watched. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? If I'm even getting the name right. Uh, yep. So I so I cannot compare this to. Uh, the thing that it was parodying uh, but I thought uh, this was uh, a very fun idea uh, and blissfully very short we sort of mm. get the joke and we move on w- what did you think yeah I mean my notes said this is so random but the nostalgia is killing me I mean I'm definitely in that wheelhouse of someone who went home Monday through Fridays at five to watch where in the world is Carmen San Diego. So, you know, I loved Sashir's Lynn Thigpen, the, the chief having Rockapella come in there though. Again, Chris Pine loves to sing, but Chris Pine sometimes doesn't get his words right. Uh, but I thought it was still fun. The, the concept itself was just great. It was again, so random at first to be like, okay, we don't know where Carol, Kellyanne Conway is. Let's fit this to where in the world is Carmen San Diego. But like you said, 
it's all about the timing of this sketch and it was so blissfully short we were in presented the concept we were out uh and again a really tight ending with the kids being like we don't want to find her and the host saying like well i guess for the blank week in a row nobody's found kelly and conway and then they close out they could have definitely dragged that out if they did they probably would have had you know maybe like pete davidson and melissa Villasenor play the two kids but they really kept it short and on the nose and as a result it was a really nice clipped way to start the live sketches of the night yeah, very odd that, you know, Kellyanne Conway had been missing in action. No one had seen her for at least seven or eight weeks. Uh, and after this sketch airs three days later, Kellyanne Conway is on national television defending uh, the firing of James Comey. What is art? What is life? I'll leave it to you. Uh, also, just to keep our count uh, running count going, as I'm going to do through this episode, we have seen Chris Pine in two comedy pieces. And so far, he has sang twice. So yes. moving on to our first pre-tape. <laughs> You might want to uh, add another one to that tally now, Rich, yeah, after this song. <laughs> yes. We get to the World Peace Rap. Um, yeah. Mike, what was this? No idea. <laughs> this, this, is, this is strange because this is the definition of 10 to 1, right? And there was a slowly revealing game to it. So for those of you that might not remember, this is the, I'm assuming this was the, uh, the good neighbor section of the yes. show with the world peace rap where you have this like Swedish group. I mean, it's not really, it's more like Beck Bennett doing some like spoken word with Kyle Mooney just dancing in the background and Chris Pine looking like Tommy Wiseau uh, singing in the, and during the chorus. And I guess the game is that he's trying to talk about, you know, what's going wrong in the world today. And then he slowly but surely reveals comes to the epiphany that he has a serious pornography addiction. And that was funny, but I didn't necessarily get that the first time around because I was focused on all the other weird stuff that was going on. So maybe I might go back on my word. This might be my least favorite sketch of the night, which I'm a good neighbor apologist, but, you know, I can only go so far. <laughs> well, definitely not my least favorite sketch of the night. We've we, we're going to we're going to well eclipse that for me. But I yeah, I, I'll say uh, definitely I thought it was well done for what it was. I just wish I knew what it was. So uh, good on them. You and. And you are correct. Three comedy pieces with Chris Pine, and he has so far sung three times. So, this reminds uh, me, um, do you remember when Forrest Whitaker hosted and he did almost the exact same thing? I don't remember that. That's interesting. That's it's there, going yeah, back. Yeah, I remember he sang on the monologue. The only reason I remember is because there was this really interminable sketch where it, he was a waiter at a restaurant and he was singing "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me," and the joke was that he just <laughs> kept singing and singing, which was really a microcosm of the entire episode. Right, right, right. Okay. Hey, why, why not? Why not? Well, uh, so then we move back to a live sketch, uh, the SWAT recon sketch with uh, Alex Bays and uh, and um, uh, Keenan Thompson as police officers uh, who are watching uh, Bobby Moynihan, the criminal. But meanwhile, there is some antics going on. Uh, this sketch uh, per Twitter was written by Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel. Uh, and as writers, they were answering the question, how high can you be and still get a sketch on Saturday Night Live. Uh, this was uh, very fun, very, very silly, probably too silly, and yet somehow for me, they just kept it reined in enough that it did not fall into a boy territory. Um, mm -hmm. it, was, it was, for me, pointless, and yet uh, very, very fun. Yeah, and I think this is sometimes what I like on SNL, especially because 
I think sometimes people turn to SNL as like, this is the bastion of satire. And I think especially in this political day and age, people are sort of focusing in on these more satirical shows as to sort of figure out exactly how to parse out maybe some of the things that are going on in the world. I never thought SNL was that. I know they do political things sometimes, but this is the same you know, show that gave us, uh, you know, head wound Harry or, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the naggers or the whiners or whatever they were called. Uh, so I, I feel like they've always been able to just produce pure nonsense. And I think this is a great representation of that. I totally agree that this was super silly, but super fun. When we get this first image of just Mikey day and Chris Pine, two grown men just dancing and eating cotton candy and jumping <laughs> around is just so goofy. I think the highlight for me might have been the backpack fashion show. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think what makes this sketch, though, is Beck and Keenan, or no, it's is, yeah, it Beck Alex. and Keenan. Uh, oh, oh ser- you're right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, serving as the straight men trying to narrate it because they're also kind of providing their own commentary. You know, in, in response to the backpack fashion show, Beck is saying, they know it's silly, super tongue in cheek. Um, and I think things get high nicely when it gets to what they're like bouncing on bouncy balls, licking. Like with a licking something with Leslie Jones in a zoot suit playing an instrument like it just gets to a perfect level of absurdity. A little bit of a predictable ending where once you get the camera focusing on Keenan, you know, Beck was going to be there. But still, it was something that I really enjoyed as pure fluff. Yes, absolutely. And I and I can say that as as far as sticking with me, I can pretty much guarantee the next time my computer asks me to generate a new password, the password will be cotton candy dance party. I love that. So and just to make sure, because we're keeping tab, we've now seen Chris Pine in four comedy pieces. He has sung in three and danced in one, uh, which brings us to the office meeting. This is really uh, another Chris Pine sketch, although I think uh, I think he would be the first to say this is really sort of uh, seeding the the floor to A.D. Bryant and Vanessa Bayer, two uh, senior level executives in the company uh, who are uh, asking him to decide which woman he wants to be with to the tune of Brandy and Monica's The Boy Is Mine. Um, you know, this I feel like this is sort of the uh, the female cast members uh, response to Cotton Candy Dance Party and that it is illogical. It is on paper stupid. Uh, it is all performance. And for me, it was very entertaining yeah i think ad and vanessa totally made this had they not committed so hard i think it totally would have gone south um i think you know if we're going to our chris pine tally this also might be the first time chris pratt played the straight man in the sketch which again is super surprising because i feel like first time hosts especially no matter what their comedic backgrounds may be are almost always the straight man in all the sketches just to sort of test the waters but i think i'm going to say this overall with chris pine i feel like he was very game for everything, no matter yes. what the quality of the sketch may be, which I think speaks very highly of him as you know a player on SNL. Yes, yes. Now, I, I thought he did a good job in this, although and AD did a good job on this. But for me, the moment that Vanessa Bayer is crawling on the desk and sl- sing slash screaming the lyrics into Chris Pine's face uh, at 11 was reminded me of why I love Vanessa so much, usually in the pre tapes. But here I you know, she hasn't been getting a lot of screen time. She's not going to get a lot of screen time in the next episode either. But she's clearly making a meal out of when she does. So I thought this 
was really fun. And uh, in case anyone didn't like this sketch and decided to fast forward before the end, you missed, that's right, Chris <laughs> Pine singing, which brings our comedy piece tally to five. Four times he sang, one time he danced. So Yeah, and, and um, my, my notes said like, oh, there's more singing. Well, at least Chris Pine isn't singing. And then it got to the end sketch and said, oh, spoke too soon about that singing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, so then we come to our pre piece, which is the first time in the show we will not see Chris Pine sing or dance, which is The House, uh, a sort of take on the real world uh, pre-tape piece with Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney. Uh, and uh, for me, this was a callback to, oh uh, boy, uh, this was really, really rough for me. See, this is where my good neighbor apologist senses fire back in and maybe it's just because i'm a big fan of reality television i mean this is clearly a parody of those real world and real world spinoffs where i think the game of this is that they're trying to create a lot of drama out of the fact that there really is no drama i think what was what was the main drama that you know the the, uh, chris pines character was supposed to do margarita night but instead he agreed to play video games with this other guy so i like the fact that they turn these supposedly huge stakes out of these mundane activities but this is totally like the polarizing stuff that good neighbor puts out that I totally understand people don't like, but I do like just because again, this still the delivery is what does it for me. You know, the like the ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you drama? It's just like the really stupidly scripted lines that I see all the time on reality TV is what struck close to home for me. The fact that they do like the immediate flashbacks, even though we saw, even though we saw what happened, like, 30 seconds ago, I love the random other guy that appeared in the middle of the confessionals. Um, so I, I enjoyed everything this had to offer, but again, I could totally understand if it's not someone's cup of tea. Yeah, I felt like they did as someone who watched a lot of reality TV years ago. I felt like this was a very astute uh, mocking of reality TV. But uh, as we always I always like to quote uh, the um, the Bill Hader story about Lorne Michaels. Uh, why now? This is uh, I feel like this has sort of been done to death. So we're watching the episode and uh, during this sketch, not only am I feeling like, yes, we've seen this before generically, but as we're watching it, I'm feeling like, no, I think I've seen this exact same sketch before, like the weirdest deja vu ever. And Jen doesn't remember, but I'm like, no, I know I know this sketch. And afterwards I do my research and sure enough, two seasons ago, Chris Helmsworth, they do the exact same sketch uh, called Reality House. And when I mean the same sketch, it was the same exact set, the same angles, the same outfits, the same background during the interviews and the same almost exactly the same uh, uh, plot, except this time, instead of it's uh, the guys, quote unquote, arguing about drinks, it's them arguing about who's having dinner with each other. So it was really a Mad Libs cut and paste that makes me wonder if they were running short on sketches this week and had to put something together very quickly and they basically just brushed this off and did it again that totally makes sense i had the exact same hunch as you did of like i know i've seen this at some point but then i searched snl wiki for the house and there really wasn't anything in there but i guess yeah they masqueraded it as a different name this time Maybe that might determine a bit of my enjoyment, but again, I still had fun with it. I think a big theme of tonight for me was that I think a lot of the sketches were fun, not necessarily highlights of the season, but what's happened so far on the show, maybe music video aside, has been silliness, and I'm fine with silliness on SNL. 
Yep. All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree. I was I think we can both say excited to get to the musical guest. Do I know who LCCD sound system is? No, I have no idea who they are. But of course, musical expert uh, Mark Q and uh, Marcusa in uh, New York gives me the download ahead of time. Indie rock darlings had actually been around for ages. Very well respected. Broke up a few years ago, decided to get back together. Uh, I did not know them. I did not know there was a band from by comedian Steve Ag from the Sarah Silverman show, or at least that's what I thought I was watching. <laughs> I was going to say uh, David Lynch's cousin. Yeah, I think a cross between the two. Um, fun, power rock. Uh, I, I don't know that there's much to say other than uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was a lot of them on stage. And yeah, yes. I thought the, the songs were fine. I think I'll blanket my terms for both guests when I'll say that I, I enjoyed the music, but don't know too, too much about them. The only thing I noticed besides the lead singer was that they had this one guy who I guess was running Electronica or something in the background who was just sort of bopping around the entire time, reminding me of Tracy Morgan during the Christmas Today recurring sketch. But yeah, LCD Sound System produced a good, they produced a good sound for the SNL system. So, you know, can't disparage them too much. Yeah, I would agree agree about a lot of people it did make me think this was probably second only to the uh bruce springsteen episode which had i think 132 people on stage so uh (laughs) so but yeah fun fun music leads us to weekend update uh so yeah i thought this was generally a a a fun weekend update um Mm -hmm. i you know i to be honest there were really no jokes that sort of grabbed me as specifically uh hysterical but i thought there was uh you know fun things about sort of building a wall between Americans and their health care and a couple of other uh, great jokes, uh, good jokes. So uh, solid energy. I feel like the Trump stuff has given these guys a lot of a lot of room to have fun together. Yeah, I think there were some jokes starting out that I don't know if I want to use the term rudimentary, but they definitely felt like jokes that I had heard. And this is a, a an unfortunate pit that SNL has to fall into with the day and age of Twitter, where essentially anyone can become a comedian. One hundred forty characters is that jokes like you know Congress treats the AHCA like I treat my iTunes user agreement, or you know mm-hmm. the Healthcare Act got a thumbs up from the Grim Reaper. Those are fun jokes, but I feel like I saw someone on Twitter like make a joke similar to that, you know, five days beforehand. So that's just something that SNL just needs to try to avoid going forward there of course you know it's something that it's it's really tough to do i did notice that you know you were talking about reality house beforehand jost had this joke about saying you know uh like the we're let's bring up the the list the accolades from donald trump's first 100 days of presidency totally copy and pasted from the post-election day uh, episode when he was talking about like oh let's give it up for all the was it like the new congresswoman of color to be elected and it was just like two people yes and it was the exact same joke complete with colin being unprepared to have the list be so short it still worked but you could tell much like you talked about with the reality house that sometimes if you're running short you gotta do a little bit of copying and pasting in this business Yes. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, we have a new character from Vanessa Bayer. uh, And I will say in the plus column, I'm glad that we didn't have Jacob the Bar Mitzvah boy or uh, newscaster of tomorrow, Laura Parsons. Instead, we have the the new weather forecaster, Don Lazarus. Um, Boy, I wish I liked this. I I wanted to like this so badly. I love Vanessa. I love that it's fresh and it's different. I love the performance base of it uh sort of just and her weird sort of nervousness uh that results in her sort of mangling the 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 weather report but um nope didn't Hmm. didn't really do it for me 
Yeah, I can understand that. It was a super simple premise, but for me, again, it was all in the delivery. I mean, I could watch Vanessa Bayer bumble her way around the phone book, which she basically did as that character, specifically saying, hoop, like <laughs> at least 30 yeah. times over the course of it. So I wonder if we're going to see this character again. I thought it was like a pretty simple game to even vocalize it during the show of like oh yeah you you're nervous that's why you're acting like this but you know I, I thought it was a it was a fun character and like you said it was a new character which i always have to give snl kudos for uh what did you think about bringing her back was that diminishing returns for you or do you feel like that boldened the character more Oh, no. I mean, for me, it didn't work the first time. So to see more of the thing that was not exciting to me was not uh, it didn't necessarily sell it for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of like, hey, do you want a second helping of unsalted potatoes? Uh, hmm. Well, I guess. OK. Uh, yeah, just uh, it, it was not there for me. So I, I could have lived without this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely yeah. feel yeah. that. I mean, I was yeah. I was fine with it. And again, it was something novel in that usually, again, they only occasionally bring out correspondence again to do something later on in the update itself. So at least, they, again, they're trying new things. Do I need to see Don Lazarus again? No, not necessarily. But it was a fun way for Vanessa Bayer to be Vanessa Bayer. And I, I always love when she does that. And to, to answer your question, I'm looking in the SNL crystal ball. We will absolutely see this character yet again in season 43. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's going to get to a snowstorm season. If not beforehand, they'll have yeah. to do a report. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And speaking of uh, people, you know, you're going to see again at Weekend Update. We have Leslie Jones come back this time. She is here to talk about uh, the, her trip to Jamaica where she met a guy and had some sex. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel like I have nothing to say about this. It was fun. It was not particularly memorable. Um, she's always really good. Uh, I should have just put it in the column of another solid set. Not going to make the best of probably not even going to make her best of. Uh, but certainly uh, it did not feel like a rough premise or something that was hard to sit through or anything like that. Certainly felt, uh, you know, like, a, you know, a solid Leslie Jones weekend update piece. Yeah, it was fine. Absolutely. I I think that, you know, she was strong. I don't think there were any veritable weak moments. I think arguably the strongest part was her trying to do that horrible crab voice and movement. And even she busted up because of it. Uh, Outside of that, I thought it was solid material. I'm not going to malign it too much, but yeah, totally agree. Definitely not in the uh, the top five, or maybe even at this point, the top ten Leslie Jost moments. Uh, oh, I'm confl- I'm giving her the Mary <laughs> name that she probably wants. Le- probably not in the top ten Leslie Jones moments yeah. on SNL during her tenure so far. Now, the thing that I will say about it, which is uh, which was unknowingly very prescient, although I will not admit that I thought this, uh, I, or I, I saw this coming, but but during it, I actually had the thought like, oh, she's cheating on Kyle Mooney. That's not cool, uh, which is going to come up very much when we get to the Melissa McCarthy episode. But instead mm-hmm. here, uh, we get to an auto shop for a live sketch. Uh, another sort of take on reality TV. Uh, and yet this for me, I thought was very well done and felt a very fresh take on reality TV, which is a bunch of blue collar auto mechanic, assumingly or is you know, looking to be sort of straight men. Uh, talking about the fact that they have a vague idea of this reality show about drag queens in competition. uh, And the reveal is that, in fact, they are all big fans of RuPaul's Drag Race. And I mean, 
a wheel meat house for me because some people may know that I am a big RuPaul's Drag Race fan. I cover it mm-hmm. on the reality TV rehab ups sister network here on Rob has a website. So I was so excited to find out that they did Drag Race had a sketch on SNL because Drag Race has not really been that mainstream until this season. I mean, they actually name dropped Trinity Taylor, one of the current contestants on it. But I mean, taking that aside. Let's just speak about the sketch itself. I mean, I think it built so nicely. You have yes. this great thing of these guys who say something and then always shrug it off with like, I guess, I guess what you call it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What, I don't know what I know. Uh, and to, to, to keep building that absurdity of these really intricate details about the world of drag and then just try to shrug it off at the end. I thought was so funny. It was formulaic, but it was so funny at the same time. And but just you're right. So- it's formulaic but it's but it's different because it's not just it's not really making fun of the reality show format it's making fun of people not wanting to admit that they watch a show and even though i've never seen rupaul's drag race i've watched many shows that i pretend to like oh my wife and i just uh we happened to land on uh so you think you can dance and it was interesting because the all-star from season five came back and did a song which was reminiscent of the number that he did in season eight which was then a (laughs) couple You know, like I loved that idea of and I thought, again, Bobby MVP to me, everyone in the sketch was good. But Bobby just had that great like, yeah, I think I think I just got the the tuck. She's got the tuck. I just was really fun. So uh, and and of course, you know, I think, well, at least the good news is we're on. We've 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 put away the singing and dancing for Chris Pine. And we're now just doing straightforward comedy about RuPaul's Drag Race. And no, I'm wrong. It turns into a dance. (laughs) number which was completely unnecessary still very cute um bringing our comedy pieces with chris pine to seven four of them he sang and two of them he danced in um yeah yeah yeah, i think that i I would agree that the lip sync itself on paper might seem superfluous but again as a big fan of the show that's how they end every episode so it felt like if you did a rupaul's drag race sketch you couldn't do it without doing a lip sync and you know it was all about bobby and chris pine a little reminiscent uh like a like a i'd say like a kindred cousin of the infamous Chippendale sketch yes, uh, with Patrick yes. Swayze and Chris Farley. <laughs> I would not disagree with you. Uh, and obviously uh, not surprisingly uh, very good sports. I saw both RuPaul and Trinity Taylor retweeted and tweeted about the sketch and uh, I think we're delighted to be the subject of a, of a sketch. So all in good yeah. fun. Uh, everyone wins in this sketch. I can't say enough. I just I love this. This was the sketch yeah. of the night for me. Again, it might totally be because it's something that I love. So to see a show that I love talked about on another show that I love, I'm really happy about. But it was just I think it was just a very well built and very well performed sketch overall. Cool. Uh, so then we go to our last pre-tape of the night, uh, also sort of uh, uh, talking about expectations. One of the buzziest new shows that no one I know has actually seen, The Handsmaid's Tale on Hulu. Uh, I hear it's excellent. I've read reviews that are excellent. I have not yet seen it. We keep man pl- planning on watching it and still haven't, as has everyone I know. Um, this sketch was written by Sudi Green and Anna Dresden, some of the, uh, the good, uh, solid writing team on the show. Um, and And I wanted to love this. I certainly did not dislike it. Um, I don't know if they lost me because it just seemed to be dumb guys in uh, a, uh, you know, a dystopian future or if it's because I didn't know enough about the source material to know what they were mocking. Um, But I kept sort of uh, leaning in, waiting for the funny and and it never quite came for me. 
So a couple things about this. First, I questioned in the beginning why this was so far in the back of the show. I think you, you could arguably switch this with the music video because I think this is probably more of the biting commentary. And even though I wouldn't even necessarily call it biting, I personally think what they're trying to criticize is this idea that, yes, you know, The Handmaid's Tale takes place in this sort of dystopian society where women in particular uh, have had their rights basically trampled upon and they're relegated to these duties and basically servitude depending on their rank. And I think they're trying to sort of uh, make trying to trying to make some sort of comparison to the fact that like if this would happen nowadays there would be these straight white guys that it wouldn't even realize that something was wrong you know i think that's what they were going after not necessarily the bro thing but the fact that like these 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 guys who really you know don't have anything change for them would say like oh yeah yeah that sucks oh man well you could i mean you could totally overcome that right like hmm. you you're you're good you can take care of it that's the 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 meaning that I took from it. I might be incorrect in that. So I'd say I like the sketch more than you did from that perspective. Was it necessary satire? No, not really. But I mean, this was also one of the few times that we had Chris Pratt, Chris, oh boy, now I'm doing it. Chris Pine really play, play the smarmy bro that he kind of looks like on paper. Yeah. And, and I, I won't uh, belabor the point because I, I, you know, I think uh, it, it was fine for what it was. I guess I would say I'd be very interested to hear the feedback from someone who has seen The Handmaid's Tale. Um, but certainly, you know, a solid a solid piece of business. Did It certainly does not fall in the boy for me. Um, you know, but we can also, you know, starting to feel like, okay, we're getting, we're getting later in the night. Yes, absolutely. To go, to go where no sketch has gone before. (laughs) Yes. Which brings me to, this will not shock anyone. My favorite sketch of the night, the lost Star Trek episode, uh, not because it was in any way brilliant, not because anything clever happens. It just was so much fun to see Bobby Moynihan play this ridiculous character. Uh, and, uh, just, just for me, a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm going to go back to what I said about the, the, the boy's mind sketch and that, like, again, it's another stupid, silly sketch, but I love the stupid, silly sketches. Like, I, I think SNL is totally fine and actually to its credit should be putting out the sketches because, yeah, it's a silly concept. It's, hey, what if Spock actually had a brother and this brother was this really loud, obnoxious Italian man who has this catchphrase called That's a Spocka, which really doesn't make any or that's a Star Trek. Yeah, that's really a Star Trek. Yeah, which really yeah. doesn't make any sense. I also want to. Let's 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 acknowledge a little bit of the elephant in the room, which is <laughs> the casting of Sulu. Yeah, there's a reason. So, uh, yeah, so he is actually uh, Akira is the uh, I actually I understand. Yes, there's no Asians uh, and certainly diversity is something we always are talking about. But this to me, the fact that Akira was there was fantastic he has been the production designer of this show for 42 years he was in the very he helped design the original set for the pilot of saturday night live um and the reason that this is notable is that when in 1976 when john belushi did the infamous star trek sketch they asked akira to play sulu in that sketch so he has now Mm. played sulu in a star trek sketch in in 1976 and in 2017 and i think that is the coolest thing i think that they specifically asked him to do it as a nod to him and a nod to his longevity on the show and then he's there which i thought was a cool uh, a cool throwback 
Yeah, that's a great call out. I completely forgotten about that. And yeah, that totally makes sense. And I loved it because, again, you know, you're looking at it, you're like, why the hell is that guy? <laughs> Who is he? Or is this someone in, in some sort of makeup? But I think it's a great Easter egg for us longtime SNL fans out there. And it just makes the sketch even that more special. And I will say, you know, another nice little tongue in cheek thing as well to have Chris Pine playing William Shatner as yes. James Kirk rather than Chris Pine's take on James Kirk. Yes. I wondered if this was put to if, if the genesis of this sketch was Chris Pine saying, and hey, if you want me to do a Captain Kirk thing, I'm game for it. Or if it was Bobby is probably leaving, we'd love to give him something that he can really kind of run with and sort of be his piece. Uh, but either way, it, it, it worked out really well. It was uh, it was just mm-hmm. just really fun for me. So, yeah. so th- thank you, Bobby, for that. Uh, and then we get to our last sketch of the night. It's couples game night. It's a game where you have to guess TV theme songs. Uh, and after a successful attempt, it's thrown to Cecily Strong and Chris Pine uh, as they're performing this theme. Uh, and no one can guess uh, the theme. I did. The theme that they were trying to guess was the theme to the show. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> this was rough. This is a tough 10 to 1 sketch for me. Yeah, see, I took it a little more lightly. Uh, I feel like you metaphorically just punched through the window of this sketch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm tending to your moods here. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll also admit, you know, I'm a big fan of the works of Stephen Sondheim and the this is totally nerdy of me, but I think the musical patter felt very Stephen Sondheim. Very Sondheim, yes. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of, I think this might be, speaking of another Chris Hemsworth episode, was it the Chris Hemsworth episode where they did the Deborah song sketch? Where it was again, Cecily Strong, and maybe it was Chris Hemsworth sitting around a piano, and it's like there was also the Apple yes, song for the Deborah's Woody Harrelson time. episode. Yeah, Deborah's yes. time. That's yeah. what it is. There's, just, there's, yep. there's always this game of like, let's go on this whole rant and sing this entire song that nobody gets. So it's it's definitely a well that they've been back to before. I still enjoyed it. Guess what? Chris Pine is closing the show by singing once again. I think the performances of Chris Pine and Cecily definitely made this. I think it was too long. I totally agree. But I sort Ooh. of do like almost the backtrack exposition of it being like oh yes it was Frasier you know like the the Frasier off-Broadway show that my brother put on about the boxer Joe Frasier Uh, I don't know if they needed to then have like a sort of a coda onto that but I think the performances helped kind of pull the weight that the material was not necessarily providing for this sketch but again I could totally understand where you're coming from too oh you say it was too long I think this sketch went into the Dwayne the Rock Johnson season finale this was ooh, this one thing (laughs) went long so i was yeah uh you know what hey it is what it is Uh, i will also say after the handmaiden's tale and the star trek lost episode i thought okay good at least we've wrapped up chris pine singing and dancing but no (laughs) final tally of the night comedy pieces he's in 10 he sang in five and danced in two seven of ten so uh maybe (sighs) he will actually win a tony award for his performance on saturday night live in studio 8h in rockefeller center Um, i call an 11 o'clock number but I guess it was a 10 to 1 number, most likely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, uh, goodbyes, a little bit of a moat, a little bit of a weirdness. Um, uh, probably nothing to read into it, but uh, it felt like more uh, Chris Pine going up to cast members and cast members coming up to Chris Pine.
line that could mean anything who knows um so uh i think that's it i think we put that one in the book and we uh we now reset the clock to uh to last night uh for a much more anticipated melissa mccarthy so uh let's just jump into it i think uh, we don't need a lot of pre preamble because we sort of already sort of set the stage for this one um we get uh donald trump as a cold open uh a, a rare appearance not it doesn't it, it certainly does happen but a rare appearance of michael che in a sketch as lester holt um and i think that the fact that they had taken uh you know the week off uh from donald trump was actually a really smart idea because uh, i thought this was probably one of the strongest donald trump cold opens that we've seen in a long time completely agree though i think it also might have benefited from the fact that no matter what your political leanings may be i think it's been a very eventful week for the trump administration and so i think they were really able to not only take that week off but also considering the events coming into this episode they were really able to come in with guns blazing i mean i saw twitter go ablaze over the couple of lines when michael chase trying to you know talk into his earpiece saying like okay he admitted it do we get him did we get him what did i get him nothing matters no yeah yeah nothing matters absolutely nothing matters anymore i think like that's i mean that's the most biting i think snl has been about trump in quite some time maybe they felt emboldened by what happened the past week and we'll talk about it with update as well but i feel like they really went in on trump this week and it just it really informed the material i feel like they really came in from a point of view i do agree that i think giving that week off to trump and for us it was also you know almost a a month off from trump considering the last time we saw him was good because alec baldwin came back and it, it was not trite he had a couple of lines in there but for me i think the climax and highlight of that sketch was that lester holt series of lines that i just spoke about yeah, I mean, that was the great moment. You're right. When uh, and and I think actually Che did a good job of uh, being sort of the indignant, um, uh, you know, we, we've often seen sorry, we've often seen, uh, you know, uh, other cast members, uh, you know, playing against Donald Trump being sort of incredulous by his actions. But the Lester Holt indignant take that he took, I think, worked so well. And you really got to give it props because really the 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 centerpiece of the of, the, of this sketch is all about the firing of Comey, which happened on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert and Seth Myers and uh, uh, John Oliver, uh, sorry, John Oliver hasn't taken a run it yet. Um, but, uh, you know, but obviously the late night machine and Twitter has had, you know, a whole had a, a whole week to sort of take their shots at this. So I thought this was going to be rough for us. And I thought it was going to be sort of picking over leftovers and yet uh, just a lot of really fun stuff coming out of this and i also will randomly point out even though he cameoed for all of 30 seconds hot take here i think mikey day makes a better paul ryan than taron killam i don't know i mean i think it just might be the look i feel like taron killam looked like you know i know paul ryan when he was running for vice president had the whole like hunky thing to him and that's where taron comes from but there's something about the way mikey day looks that resembles paul ryan to me for some reason just random observation yeah no i think you're right i think you're right i i also thought uh as you were saying before they they're getting a little emboldened to get a little meaner um i uh i like I mean, I, having nothing to do with current events when they're talking about something and trump says i sit on every chair like it's a toilet which was mm-hmm. a, a a low blow and when they're when they're talking about 
about how Trump uh, thought that he invented priming the pump. And he talks about, you know, that he invented that because he, it's how he tugs on himself for Melania was uh, was really like, wow, we are going there. Uh, it was real fun. Yeah. Uh, I also there is a, a a running theme anytime the Alec Baldwin Donald Trump is uh, being interviewed or, or talking to a African American character he's always referring to them by weird names uh, so this time he referred to Lester Holt as Jazzman and then called him <laughs> and then said listen OJ and then later on said listen Keenan and then at the end called him Tupac so it just makes me laugh makes me laugh yeah that's a, that's a nice uh, runner with a Donald yeah. Trump character. Now, I will say my expectation was, okay, this is all very funny, but when does Sean Spicer enter this cold open? Because you have to have Sean Spicer enter the cold open. Uh, Sean Spicer does not enter the cold open, uh, which left me a little bit like, oh, I wanted to see the two of them together, which obviously we are going to see in a few minutes. But uh, definitely that expectations thing, I think, sort of is uh, is a double edged sword. Um, you will certainly get your just desserts. <laughs> exactly. So uh, so we get to the monologue. Uh, and this is, again, I would say absolutely, as we've said about many monologues this season, fun, not funny. Uh, this was just a high energy watching Melissa McCarthy to celebrate Mother's Day uh, grabs a uh, Joan from the audience. I assume that Joan knew this was ha- going to happen, but didn't know exactly what it was that was going to happen. Uh, run around behind the set and get to see a, a look uh, backstage, which I thought was uh, was just really high energy silliness. Yeah, high energy is a great way to describe it. To the point of we're a little frenetic. I mean, specifically the part with the Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively cameos where it felt like everyone was kind of talking over each other because you can't really gauge Joan's reactions as well because they're sort of in the right. moment. But I think it shows how Melissa McCarthy is also just great with banter from beginning to end. Yes. I mean, she started she started with doing crowd work, which yes. not a lot of people do. Fun, and then just her like interstitial talking in between i just thought it was super solid huge knowledge the llama which i feel like you know they it's it's always yeah it's it's always i mean it's always in the background but they never outright say hey there's a llama here you should pet it there were fun little moments in there like you know alec baldwin's quick change booth the you have to hug kyle because kyle thinks everyone over the age of 23 is his mom that again were more fun than funny but i i was nothing but smiles i know that mother's day is a very sentimental time on snl i believe it was reese witherspoon's last year where they just brought up everyone's mothers to talk about them that again was more fun than funny but i thought this was sweet and like you said very new which i'm always appreciative of Yes. No, I thought I thought that was all really nice. I think that when she they first ran up to Kyle Mooney, she referred to him as Mike Mooney and then corrected herself. So but hey, it's live TV. So uh, so we get to see the backstage of the door that leads to uh, home base, which was very cool. A fun little moment for Joan and great energy as they both give the, uh, you know, stick around. We'll be right back, which I thought was super, super sweet. So that was uh, it was all very fun. Uh, And then that takes us to our first live sketch just desserts so uh uh, you know uh we sometimes do episodes where you have to uh, you know we have daylight savings time you have to set your clock back an hour this sketch set your clock back about 70 years in television because this is basically a sketch from milton burl uh texaco star theater in 1955 we're doing a game show parody uh about pies in the faces yeah, I mean, this was I mean, this is a little bit of an antiquated presence and it was very, 
very simple. You know, there wasn't even any sort of, you know, modern take or vulgarity involved. It was just, hey, a woman keeps getting hit with pies in the face. Uh, It harkens back to almost like a Lucy show. That being said, I still really enjoyed it because of Melissa McCarthy's performance. Just this poor harried woman just getting hit with so many pies and her really selling the performance of like not being able to breathe. I, it was interesting to see them come up with all the creative ways to get her hit with the face with the pie, whether it was like, okay, you got to hit you, you, the person to the left of you gets hit in the face with the pie. The person to the right of you gets hit in the face with the pie. Kate McKinnon's character buys the pie and gets to pass it off to somebody else. Um, I will say with something that requires this many production elements, the timing was a little bit off. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think there were moments. I think there were moments when Kate was actually talking over Mikey Day's character. Sometimes, but again, Ms. Melissa McCarthy's physicality totally sells this. I can't imagine any other host doing this. I think it is it the brainiest sketch in the world. No, but I still enjoyed it just because McCarthy is such a powerhouse here. Yeah, if you're gonna do a sketch that is pure physical comedy, you do it with Melissa McCarthy as the host, no questions asked. Uh, for me, I would say pie in the face is not inherently uh, that funny, so I was a little bit more of a skeptic uh, as far as just like, huh, okay, all right, well, hmm, all right, uh, you know, the pie, the cake, the sprinkles, the blowing out the candles, and then she asked for a cleanup, and they start <laughs> shooting that water in her face, and I was like, you guys effing got me you got me now i'm loving this she milked that for so long and was just all in in such an engrossing way that i was like okay you got me i just thought it was uh really fun no good ending to this but but uh but uh really fun piece of live comedy which was great and also, uh, as someone who has been binging the second season of Masters of None, uh, featuring none other than previous hosts of season, sorry, uh, he, not spoiled too much, but he, he hosts a show about cupcakes that has a very similar set to Just Dessert. So uh, I had a little bit hmm. of my own little quick flashback when I saw the set come up. Uh, well, you'll have to tell me about Masters of None season two later. I'm, I'm very interested to hear what you think. But for now, uh, we will look to our to our friends of the greatest generation. Uh, older people have now their own Echo, the Amazon Echo Silver. Um, and I am a huge tech nerd. Anyone who knows, I listen to multiple tech podcasts per week. Uh, and I thought this was just great. I understand that for the average person, this sketch is not going to make any best of list. There's nothing that's insane about it but i just thought it was a really fun smart take on making an amazon echo for a senior citizen uh it just really made me laugh yeah what made the sketch for me was actually cecily's performance as the alexa yes. alessandra alicia whatever it's been programmed to call voice because you could feel it get more and more exasperated as the commercial went on which was really really funny to see this detached voice actually kind of have a personality and the you know the automatic uh-huh feature it reminds me a little bit i can't remember who hosted but there was this one sketch where it was the two grandsons had the service where they would explain the movie to their grandfather they'd like put themselves in the movie to be like don't worry grandfather like that the dog in the movie is, is in the movie there's nothing at the door like that's explaining that service so i like them going back to the well of like you know basically how do we get old people to adjust to this technology sometimes uh so you know i think was it the most nouveau concept ever no but again i think the execution worked really well 
Yeah, no, I agree. I, I thought this was really bad. And you're right. I liked her building. She starts out no matter what they call her. Allegra, Clarissa, Nina, Abuze. She's all fine uh, until you get to the point where Kyle Mooney's character says, oh, uh, says, uh, Amelia, play black jazz. And she's playing uh, jazz. I just thought that was really funny. So so fun, fun text sketch to kick us off as a pre-tape. Uh, and then we come back uh, for another live sketch. And here he is. Spicy's back. Sarah's out. Let's do this. Uh, the uh, most non, the most unsurprising sketch of the night, given how much they had been uh, promoting this. She's back, Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy, to do Sean Spicer. And uh, I gotta say, fourth time out, this might be my second favorite, uh, other than mm-hmm. one clear miss in the middle. Uh, this was really, really fun. I completely agree. This definitely comes second to me after the initial time, which. As we talked about on the Kristen Stewart podcast, you and I both went absolutely gaga over and are still gaga over. But I loved this so much because it went somewhere physically and (laughs) emotionally speaking as well. Because first you start off with Sarah Huckabee Sanders and then you have the moment of him hiding in the bushes. And, you know, as you talked about, it had been mentioned, I believe Melissa McCarthy in her promos was talking about like spices coming out of the bushes. We have all these articles coming out on Friday of Melissa McCarthy rolling down 55th Street as Sean Spicer in the podium, clearly doing something for SNL. Um, We'll talk about your near miss, but I love this moment where Sean Spicer, first he does the Spicer things, which are fun, but then he has this one moment where he's like he he wouldn't lie to me would he and to have this character have this emotional breakthrough which leads him to this exodus to new york city where simon and garfunkel plays in the background and you have this taped montage in the middle of a live sketch of him exploring exactly what his purpose was was so much fun i definite sketch of the night for me and that's saying something considering how strong i thought this show was i'm so glad they're taking this character places because i was worried after the first time out that we were just getting we would get diminishing returns it's very clear here that they're not going to do that anytime soon yeah, I mean, I think even before we get there, it's just a lot of the lines like when they're asking if he's if Trump is crazy. It's like if he's crazy, he's crazy like a fox with mental problems. Just made me laugh. And or even was like he's innocent. How do we know he's innocent? Because he told us, period. Just really funny. The certified letter. You know, it's true because they spent an extra two dollars on it. Like just a lot of funny jokes. And we didn't fall into the trap of, OK, here's the big gum beat. Here's the missed name, misreading the names. So it wasn't the typical Mad Libs until we get to the time it's prop time. And I felt Mm. like they just felt obligatory. I don't even understand what they were going for with the nesting dolls, whatever it was. It really didn't work. She knew it wasn't working. There was one joke where the audience didn't even know to laugh and she had to sort of just keep going, which sort of sucked the air out of the room. Uh, But other than that, uh, you know, really fun. And yes, the pre-tape piece, what I love is to see the same exact character that we were just doing big, broad, way over the top comedy in now instantly cutting to a pre-tape where the exact same character and we're doing much more subtle, nuanced, as you said, Simon and Garfunkel themed comedy. Uh, I love that they were able to make that pivot in the middle of the sketch and make them both really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, speaking towards the props, I, I guess the joke that they were the audience kind of glanced over was, yeah, it's the Russian nesting dolls. And then I guess there was one of Vladimir Putin 
and yeah. he was trying to cover that up but like the dolls weren't oriented the correct way so it didn't really come across and she didn't really show it to the camera but yeah i'll admit it was a little bit of a stretch with the with the russian nesting dolls i think the only comparison that worked was the steve bannon as uh slimer from ghostbusters i think you know if you have james comey as jake from adventure time and you have jeff sessions as pikachu i wasn't entirely sure where well, that there, came yeah. from but again it, that, that's that's one small you know one small moment in a huge lake yeah. of fantastic things in this sketch yeah because there wasn't sort of a consistent theme to what is this prop like okay what are we doing with nesting dolls when we start out with the painting of the actual trump but uh you say you know but you're right uh now of course with the pre-tape now we're again we're back in the world of anticipation that obviously if he's he's looking for donald trump and we know alec baldwin is in the building still in makeup so we know we're going to get trump and spicy together uh, uh, for me here, I think the expectation uh, didn't live up to uh, or the expectation was outpaced the actual payoff. I thought that uh, and again, here was a thing where you could see they were pausing for laughs or applause uh, that didn't necessarily come. Uh, so I thought this was a, a very, you know, I don't know what you could have done that would have been better than this. So it's yeah. not like I not like there was an obvious joke for me to close it. But the idea of, oh, we're going to see uh, Spicer and Donald Trump kiss, I thought was less that what they thought was the funniest end and more that they thought what would most annoy the real Sean Spicer and the real Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I think that it is always odd to say live to taped back to live. There's a timing thing that kind of gets thrown off. Could have been easier to have Baldwin if he was available show up as Trump at the end, maybe just because you'd be able to edit it a little better. But I thought it was a fine ending. I don't think it was a dud ending, though I do agree. I think we finally get our Trump actor and our Spicer actor, the two biggest newsworthy moments to come off of SNL this season, in my opinion, together in one room. You expect fireworks to go off instead of just like a little popper that you got at the county fair. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So but I think we all clearly agree. Really fun great sketch of the night without question completely for me. Yeah. hands hands uh you know above everything else sketch of the night uh and then speaking of returning we go to our musical guest and uh, returning last seen in uh 2013 haim is back to perform two new songs um I always like Haim. I, you know, uh, as my wife said, I think the songs were repetitive, but I liked the, re the what they were repeating. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, I think the sisters uh, did a very nice job. Fun, poppy, uh, beautiful sound. The, the harmony together continues to be uh, quite nice. And so uh, I don't know, not much more to say. I thought uh, good to see Haim back. Really a fun sort of uh, overall girl power episode uh, with them as the musical guest. Absolutely. The only thing I remember about Haim is they were in the Josh Hutcherson episode, I believe, because he had that one sketch where it was really fun sketch where he was just lip syncing to uh, use your love tonight. And Haim ended up showing up at the end of it. But, yeah, I always enjoy their music. Uh, I love their the only two notes I have is that I like their primary color look in their first set. And the bass player makes some funny faces when she's really getting into the music. But other than that, really enjoyed what they had to put out. Hopefully they'll have many more appearances on SNL from here on out. Yes, she's uh, well documented on the Internet. That is uh, that was not a one off. If you don't know Haim, uh, that is that was not something that SD was doing. Uh, that is something that is a thing. She's talked about it. More power to her. Uh, good. Good for them, uh, which is cool. So we get to weekend update. And uh, I don't know. I'm going to say I was kind of mixed. I'd say this was a fun weekend update for me. But uh, but I don't know that it uh, it knocked my socks off. How about you? 
So going to the cho- the the chost the Che and Jost of it all, I liked their stuff better than last week, or I guess during the mm-hmm. Klein episode, yep. I should say, because again, I feel like this stuff was not stuff that I had heard on Twitter. Obviously, the Comey stuff produced a large amount of commentary from all sides of the spectrum during the week, but I thought Che had a really fun take when he was talking about how you should read every Donald Trump headline with a record scratch in the middle of it, and James Brown paying at, playing afterwards like it's some sort of crazy movie trailer uh there were some fun lines lines in here like talking about the tax return information with colin using the example of all the kids came back from the field trip with a few exceptions yeah uh, colin had a real biting line with talking about like monkeys getting uh oh, birth control india where they treat monkeys better than we treat women was yeah super biting i think it goes back to what i said before about like they they are getting a little vicious with their commentary but if it informs the comedy i'm all for it Oh, the the viciousness, I thought. Well, there was two. uh, uh, One, when they're talking about Spicer, and he said, which was odd because diving in bushes without warning is usually his boss's thing, which Mm -hmm. I thought was a shot. And then I actually thought there was a cheap shot at at Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, which I thought was the basic atrocities joke and her getting her wardrobe. I got to say, it was actually a little bit too mean for me. I thought it was a little, I felt like she was a little bit of an innocent bystander that the third, that third joke was a, a little bit unwarranted. But that's just me. And obviously all's fair in comedy, but it was it was rough. And it is interesting in that that almost directly contradicts what they did in the Spicer sketch, where I feel like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she does have the reference of like, my father's Mike Huckabee and my mother's a big southern hamburger. But otherwise, like, I did they directly reference her in the sketch as like, this very capable woman should be replacing yes. you at the podium. So it, it again, it different viewpoints. I do agree that maybe that was a little mean if if it produces good comedy i'm fine with going a little mean sometimes but maybe you know we only have one episode left of season 42 but depending on how things go over the summer uh we might see some more bashing going on in season 43 i see it in the cards oh i think so yeah oh absolutely uh so our first feature is pete davidson pete is going back to the more sort of uh life story confessional uh kind of humor that we saw when he first came on as a featured player then of late so he's talking about uh going to rehab and paying forty thousand dollars to not play with a horse um you know i thought it was all fine it was fun it was an interesting take on rehab um i you know i always uh, get a little disconnected when the uh weekend update uh comedian is not really talking about current events it was really mm-hmm. just an excuse to do sort of this sort of uh you know confessional piece but but he delivers it well and it, it felt very genuine it did not feel like just generic jokes it felt like uh you know something very specific to his life so so uh, so I thought this was good, but uh, probably somewhat unmemorable. Yeah. And remind me, has Pete Davidson come back and done a weekend update bit since he's come back from being sober? Yes, but not. But it's usually the showing people and him making fun of them. Uh, ah, he, yes. I don't think he has done. Yeah, I don't think he has done a uh, a, a, a confessional style uh, piece at all since uh, since uh, coming back. Yeah, so this is probably the first outright piece, because I remember now, I think he made mention of being sober when he was doing his own little burn book yes. uh, previously, but this is the first time outright mentioning it. I think it got off to a little bit of a slow start. I do agree. I think it's a pet peeve on this podcast when you do the very hard segue of like, yeah, I, I, I know I'm supposed to talk about this thing, but I won't at all. And even when he's talking about like, you know, I, I did you guys know there were 24 hours in a day? I only, only thought there were six, uh, but he got me a little bit when talking about I was on drugs for the last eight years, so I 
have to get all the bad kids out in terms of <laughs> yes. uh, doing some more illicit activities now that he has more hours in his day, I thought was quintessential Pete Davidson. So I think people were a little trepidatious of like, as bad as it is to say, you know, can Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson still be on game despite not having something to spurn him along as much as the inspiration of marijuana may have. I think it's very clear that he's able to, I loved him going off on the whole idea of horse therapy, this deadpan thing of that's how poor I was growing up. I never met a horse. <laughs> you know, my mother, my mother t- didn't want to get me inoculated because she thought I'd never meet a horse. I thought was very much in his wheelhouse. So I'm very excited to see in season 43 moving forward, what a sober Pete Davidson can bring to the update desk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then our last uh, piece was Kathy Ann. <sighs> I won't give you a full uh, boy, but I gotta say it's, uh, it's one floor below and a uh, boy. We had just seen Kathy Ann in December with John Cena. Uh, and here she's talking, uh, more about the Trump stuff. I'd say probably a fairly well covered, uh, territory at this point, but, uh, we're, we're going to sort of talk about it yet again. Uh, and for me, uh, while nothing about it was specifically bad, um, I was, uh, over it before it began it's so interesting the pivot that they've taken with this character because i feel like it was definitely an oh boy previously before the john cena episode where it's just like all right we have this random woman talking about how poor and dirty she is and you know conflating or mixing up words that's fine but then she comes into the john cena episode with this really interesting pov about white supremacists i believe that people were like oh okay yeah Kathy Ann, that's interesting. And it seems like this character has now sort of taken that perspective where they're just like, all right, we're going to use this opportunity for this character to sort of say like, hey, for lack of a better term of speaking, like, hey, these people up in Washington are sort of just like me, <laughs> you know, a lowly bum, uh, you know, talking about how right. you know, Donald Trump is li- yeah. Yeah, this living the actual life junkie scream about in a bowling alley. It's an interesting POV. I will agree with you that I don't think it completely worked. It at least didn't work as much as it did last time we saw her during John Cena. But I am just so fascinated by this idea of how they are able to sort of randomly strike gold with this character this one time. And now they've almost completely oriented her around this concept that they have completely almost abandoned the POV that she had before that one moment. Yeah, I, I, I will say for me, I think you're right, because I thought that in this one, they really tried to pivot her uh, when she starts going into this idea of like, you know, the only thing these investigating committees need to find is a backbone and grow a pair and put your country above your party. And while my personal politics would agree with those sentiments, I really chafed at it as just like, uh, OK, now I'm getting lectured by Kathy Ann. Like, oh, what? what how did that happen? I felt like we don't need it we've been busting donald trump's nuts all night long that just sort of blatant sort of like it almost felt like the show was speaking and i don't mean that in a good way it felt like oh we we could dial this back so anyway enough about no no no, no, yeah no i i would and i yeah Yeah. i I just want to say i totally co-sign that it definitely felt like for a moment that it wasn't even kathy ann that it was cecily strong and the rest of the show saying thing, especially the stuff about how like people don't have money people don't want to give money to health care but they want to pay enough money for you know for donald trump's wife to not sleep in the same bed as him like that felt like something that wasn't even a kathy ann thing that felt like another thing that you could like take off of somebody's twitter and i would agree with you i think that you know it, it, it's it felt a little more outside the show personal politics aside 
it'll be interesting to see again i know i keep saying what happens with this character in season 43 now that we're ramping up for it but i'll be really interested to see what they do with this character moving forward yeah no i agree i agree um so you know we come back for another live sketch it's a woman in film panel uh you know it's the return of debet goldry which uh we last saw in december during the emma stone uh sketch uh i have always been a fan of the debet goldry sketches and the sketches like them as we've talked about which is uh you know sort of a, a character from the old age of hollywood talking about just how horrible women were treated uh this time we try to uh multiply the comedy by giving her a best friend gay fontaine melissa mccarthy obviously uh these two uh you know are mccarthy and uh and mckinnon are friends from ghostbusters uh and other um and i thought that uh i i did not think that one plus one equaled two i thought one plus one equaled uh you know uh, 0.5 here i felt like the comedy was a bit watered down by taking the good comedy lines and splitting them between two characters that were ostensibly the same character Character. They didn't have uh, enough sort of uh, uh, drawn lines between the two that I could go, oh, my God, that's so funny because that's how uh, Goldry would handle it. And that's how Fontaine handled it. So while there was definitely some funny lines here, uh, it felt uh, a little a little long in the molar uh, for me. Yeah, I think that when it comes to these types of scenes, the reason why the one straight man, one crazy man relationship works so well in the sense of comedy is that, you know, the numbers balance out fairly evenly, even in something like a group game, when you're doing it in improv, you usually do what's called like a seven on one where either one person is crazy and everyone else is the straight man trying to figure things out or one person's straight man and everyone else is crazy. Things get a little off balance, actually, even though we had two straight people and two crazy people on the panel, it, it, I, I agree with you that it felt like you were almost dividing lines between the two and there weren't any defining characteristics between Debette Goldry and Gay Fontaine. Now, did I not enjoy it? No, I, I really enjoyed the sketch. I, like you, love Debette Goldry. I think this is a very representative character that just shows how powerful Kate McKinnon is as a performer and that she can just take a look and take a delivery and turn it into this really fantastic character. The lines are so well written for her that, I mean, the writing on the sketch, despite there being two characters that are now imbibing the same property was still a lot of fun. You know, my first job was a grip, uh, you know, <laughs> very lurid gesture aside. They got credited as woman number two and woman number three when there were only two only women. Two women. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I love this idea of, uh, you know, oh, gay was the first woman to fire a gun on set. And she says, oh, it wasn't in the script. It's just people have limits. I he was yeah. like, you know, McCarthy, even though the material might have gotten divided between two characters, she still really sold it. I'm still in love with this recurring character. I feel like they're doing a great amount of I think this is only the third time we've seen her this season. So I'm happy that one of the things I love about Kate McKinnon characters is, is that I feel like they get recurred maybe every like six or seven episodes, which I feel like is a perfect frequency for re recurring characters. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. So, uh, you know, so, you know, again, it's also getting late in the night. So we give them a little bit more leeway as they're trying stuff. And again, I think part of this was McCarthy and, and McKinnon just wanted to have fun and fair enough. Uh, nothing wrong with that. 
So uh, we then move to uh, our last pre-tape of the night. Uh, Kyle and Leslie uh, are having romance troubles. Uh, a pre-tape sketch that is taking the idea that we uh, started with in episode six uh, in November of this season. Uh, the idea that uh, Kyle and Leslie were actually dating backstage. And we continue this sort of interesting running theme throughout the season, uh, which has them ultimately here getting married. Uh, and while, uh, again, I will say probably not the funniest four minutes of television. I just love this. I want to hug this pre-tape yes. piece because I love that they're doing this. This was so sweet, Rich. And it almost takes me back to the uh, love is a dream. Uh, Phil Hartman uh, sketch, mm-hmm. Jan Hook sketch with like, that was not funny whatsoever, but damn, was it just fascinating to watch. And there were funny moments. You know, I think the, the look of little Lorne was oh. really funny. Uh, but I mean, the first like two minutes of this sketch, I know I always commend this season and this set of actors for being really good performers, but I'm just going to keep beating that drum until it's not true. Because again, Leslie Jones, Kyle Looney, probably not two of the biggest performers. They're much more comedians than they are performers, but damn, did they not do a good emotional job really playing grounded characters? And that made it so much more fun when we get this reveal that there actually is a Colin Jost love triangle and it culminates <laughs> in you know the little recital that happens to take place on the stage for some reason oh, and then yeah, Kyle exactly, saying, yeah, yeah. And then Kyle just coming down the aisle saying F you Colin and shooting him which will have repercussions that we'll talk about but yeah. again I cannot speak highly enough about the fact that they are canonizing these things, which makes me so happy that they're trying something new. Like you said, this is a, a long-seated storyline that's taken place since the sixth episode of this season. We're now on episode 20, and we've had other hints of it elsewhere. I think there was another pre-tape sketch where or there was a walk through the backstage where the two of them were consorting, and the Leslie wants to play Trump sketch. She was talking with Kyle about it. So the idea that they're setting up this meta-narrative yes. is so much I fun, and I think they, they did it so well here. And so for me, and this was directed by Dave McCary of Good Neighbor, uh, although you don't see uh, Beck Bennett in this as a major person, to me, I think, you know, forgetting about the music video we talked about in the Crest Pine episode, this is where I see Good Neighbor just delivering in such a meaningful way. I don't actually know who wrote it, but it feels like this is the Good Neighbor team just hitting on all cylinders. And uh, certainly Leslie was great. And I really will give Kyle great acting credit, as you said, because A, he's playing playing it very real and yet he's also hitting these sort of tropes of like today's the big recital and just that like ridiculousness of like that you know that little Lorne has a piano recital as you said on the home base of Studio (laughs) 8H which was so ridiculous Um, and by the way for me probably the single funniest moment of the entire show was complete silence it's after he shoots Colin in the leg and Colin (laughs) falls down and they just you see uh, you just see Lauren watching and not doing anything and that made me scream in laughter then we get his voice his, his sound bite which is I usually don't support cast members shooting each other but Colin can be annoying which was a nice little punch it was just great so uh, I'm assuming that this is a wrap on this season's uh, uh, storyline of Kyle and Leslie although you never know they could surprise us with a uh, with a uh, a season finale pre-tape but uh just really great really really Mm -hmm. great yeah definitely i would say a pre-tape highlight for me of both episodes by far yeah 
Yeah. And then I would say the show sort of uh, is sort of uh, doesn't fall into a well, but I would say we sort of uh, lose a little bit of gas. We go to a, uh, a sketch uh, first birthday party, um, which I thought was going to be a really fun idea. Uh, uh, the new mom uh, is uh, asked everyone over to celebrate her kid's first birthday and all the other moms are, uh, are, are helping her find her animal. Um, I love this idea that like once you as a mom once you claim an animal you don't have to think anymore your fashion sense is determined all your decorating choices are return are uh, are are done so i thought this was going to be great although i don't know that it really uh it held up for me yeah i don't really know where this was going at first and i i do admit that when it came to the mom animal things i did love the subtle hints in terms of the wardrobe choices from you know cecily's scarf and the you know the the shirt that i think kate was wearing to the the brooches that leslie was wearing so i like that they hinted towards that but i feel like they they had something there with the mom animal thing and actually like imbibing the spirit i did like at the end when everyone's sort of acting like their animal except for leslie who just said i'm an angel uh because her spirit animal was an angel for some reason but i don't know if it was a timing thing or a writing thing it just never really got there i think it was fun i always have a lot of fun when the female cast gets together but i was kind of asking myself what's the point to this sketch yeah, and I think it's because they did, which was interesting, instead of sort of the sketch just sort of bellying up, they actually had two different fun premises. They had one premise is that once you pick an animal, your sort of life becomes about the animal. And then they had this other also fun premise that once you become a mom, you start to make these life choices that are very sort of like mom things. But the mm-hmm. mom thing didn't tie into the animal thing. And so as an audience member, I kept feeling like, what am I missing here? Something doesn't add up. Uh, and I think it really was just because they're trying to make this thing happen. That was just two different things. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they never tied together. Uh, you know, I feel like we've seen this idea and this set. I know in the Amy Schumer early last season, we did a baby shower that turned into a wonderful sketch about Amy Schumer being the unbelievably annoying of the friend of the friend who uh, blows up the whole place, uh, which was really, really funny and this was not that but uh but certainly good performances and uh and and i as you said i do like sort of uh when we see the women come together to do something like this which was really fun um and then our last sketch of the night promotional consideration provided by apple which really made me wonder so is this the first time that we're seeing a true promo considerated even though we all thought that the burger king sketch was and a couple of other sketches uh but but putting that aside you know we're here and we're doing um uh we're creating a logo for lighthouse films um this sketch was written by four people believe it or not oh, beck, really did, did they did one of them each nick, write one of the pitches i had beck bennett nick cockner brian mcclaney and will steven all got together to write this sketch um yeah i i i don't want to say it, it was not an a uh, boy but it was it was such an it for me well i'll, I'll start with it it didn't really work for me it was pleasant enough it was silly enough but it but i don't know that it worked for me do you disagree maybe maybe i'm being just curmudgeonly about this i wouldn't say you're too curmudgeonly about it i think the one moment it did work for me was the random cut to donna holding her hair with a sharp kitchen knife i feel like if they focused on that and even outside of donna i know the game initially was like oh we're making this about donna her name is donna she's going through a rough patch but even if they just focused on 
I don't know if this would make the air, but just like a series of really disturbing images to function as the logo of this lighthouse company. I don't be the, I don't want to like necessarily rewrite the sketch, but I feel like that would be a stronger game instead of just having, you know, Melissa McCarthy come out and do silly things every time she can do silly things. She has that hard and attitude to be able to really play that Donna character. But for me, what got the strongest reaction out of the audience was that insane moment. And then they even backed off yes. from that. Cause I, cause I think the last one wasn't even that right. It was her the, with the basketball hoop and saying that it was paramount pictures with the Seinfeld music playing in the background. Yeah. So that almost felt like a deescalation. Yeah, and, and and I will say to your point too, the, the weird thing about this is generally in sketch comedy, when we see something this crazy town, just like, oh, we're putting Donna in all of the options, usually there's a very fun reveal of a of the of the why that there's a some crazy motivation why the characters are doing this crazy thing, this justification that we then see sort of get challenged as the sketch gets goes forward. And in this, there was never a justification as to why he felt the need to put Donna in all the promos. You know, we have a comment that she's going through a bad time, but that doesn't really tell us anything. So I think for me that that was also why it was sort of hard to get through. But again, if you're going to sort of do sort of these big, broad physical pieces, you do them with Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Again, she sells it no matter what it is. I feel like these two sketches that we just talked about have a common thread in that. I mean, they're very 10 to, ten to one in that I feel like it was sort of a, a fun kind of rushed idea. And the writing for one reason or another just doesn't really match up to it. I'd be intrigued to see if these two sketches were given another week and slotted into the Dwayne Johnson episode for some reason, what they might look like and how they might differ from the way they were presented here. Fair enough. And the other thing I will say about these two sketches that I liked about them is in neither sketch was Chris Pine singing. So that was that was nice. Well, what um, if, the, what if yeah. the final Lighthouse pitch was Chris Pine coming out to sing Lighthouse? You know, I got to say, actually, that would have been pretty funny. I, I, I take it back. If they had, if Chris Pine came back to sing in one more sketch, I you're right. You would have gotten me. That would have been pretty good. So uh, we get to the good nights. And hey, all you haters of me talking about the good nights. We got a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Uh, you know, first off, as you alluded to during the Leslie and uh, Kyle piece, um, we see in the background, Colin Jost has a cast on his leg as if he had been shot how uh, great is that so it reminds me of was it buck henry when he hosted uh with in the 70s where he got hit in the face with the tip of uh john belushi's samurai sword yes. and so the cast throughout the rest of the evening just kept putting on bandages to almost commemorate it and to build it into a bit this is very small in scale compared to that, but that's totally what there reminds me of. And it makes me so happy to rem to remember why SNL is sort of like a fun slap shot live show is that you have these sorts of moments that have these callbacks, to these other things of like, it's almost as if Colin Joe's got shot in real time after weekend update after that sketch aired. And now he's yes. hobbling around just a really fun little detail. Really, really fun. And then uh, and then obviously the big news is that uh, Melissa McCarthy uh, finishing out her fifth episode is completely surprised. There is no chance that she was acting here. Steve Martin shows up wearing his five timers club jacket. Melissa McCarthy is completely thrown. She doesn't know what mm -hmm. to do. She's obviously a huge Steve Martin fan. She cannot contain her adulation. She's looking at him like I'm talking to my idol and I 
I don't. I think at one point she just points to him and goes, you're Steve Martin. And it was just like the greatest moment uh, where they uh, bestow upon her her own five timers jacket and uh, just really, really fun. I thought that they did such a nice job. It was just such a wonderful, uh, you know, obviously she's being singled out here because this is not something that they normally do anymore. Yeah. Um, Poor poor Scar Joe only got the five dollar foot long song and most of the car that gets an entire ceremony. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think uh, um, uh, 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 Louis C.K. got any anything. I mean, this is well, he was he was number four. We're going to get The Rock next week, though, for number five. So he might get one, too. Yeah, there was someone else that just entered the five timers club. Scar, Scar, Scar Joe did. Wasn't there someone other than her? I'm blanking on who else. But anyway, no. uh, uh, maybe I'm imagining it. Um, so whatever it was. Uh, but just such a wonderful moment. And everyone, I think, really had such a fun time with this, which I thought was really, really good. So, uh, yeah, wonderful way to end a very, very solid episode. Absolutely. And so now we're segueing into, believe it or not, Rich, the final episode of season 42 with the host, The Rock now, or Dwayne Johnson, I guess I should say, now that he's going by that professionally. Now, Rich, in your beginning of your podcast, you talked all about anticipations. What are your anticipations coming into this from, from both a season finale perspective and a Dwayne Johnson perspective? You know, it's interesting that, because you know, and, I, and I've said this before and I will say it again. I was never a fan of wrestling. Um, I have I don't know that I have ever seen a single Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie. Uh, so I am clearly, uh, you know, not the right person to uh, to have an opinion about him uh, as an as a performer. Uh, you would think that I would roll my eyes by him, but I find him to be a fantastic host. I think that he does a really really wonderful job so i am really looking forward to it i think that uh you know i think that the uh if you go back to season 40 him and my man bobby did a wrestlemania promo that might be one of my favorite sketches of of the last few years one of my favorite bobby sketches um just so solid so i am really looking forward to to him coming back uh you know it probably means we're going to get one of those sketches where he uh uh, I, well, I wonder if they'll do it with him again. Uh, but I'm thinking of when he showed up with um, he shows up with Cicely Strong uh, yes. and sits down with uh, with Vanessa and uh, and uh, Keenan. And um, I don't necessarily love those, um, but yeah, well, I'm well really, he, he was really the young. one to initially usher it in, and I remember that was yes. a really fun sketch. It's every time they try to repeat it, both yes. with Louis, Louis C.K. C. K. And, and Benedict Cumberbatch, I think did it too. Yes. Yeah. So that I am not looking forward to. Uh, but overall, I think it'll be fun. Uh, and then the big question is who's leaving? I mean, I think, as you said, as we touched on earlier, Bobby is probably leaving because his show got picked up. So I think we'll see a drunk uncle. I don't know that there's any other sketches that I think that we will see. You know, we always say every year, is this going to be uh, Keenan's last year or not? Because it always seems like it probably would be. Uh, so I don't know uh, if if it was, as I said, every before every season finale since we started this podcast, we could definitely see a um, a what up with that return if mm. it was going to be his last episode. Uh, and, you know, in a couple, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Cecily Strong moved on. It wouldn't surprise me if Vanessa Bayer decided to hang it up uh, of their own volition. Uh, you know, so this there could be some interesting return uh, pieces. 
Yeah, so I, we could definitely put a pause in that conversation because what we're going to do as well is that next week we're going to do not only a summary of the Johnson episode, but I think we're going to kind of wrap up our season 42 thoughts as well, or whether those are categorical or just general. Uh, but I think what we're interested in with season 42 finale as well is the Trump of it all, because I know yes. that Alec Baldwin is going to appear as Donald Trump. I think the question is, as we've asked many times on this podcast, moving forward, what's going to happen? Are they going to, I mean, Anthony Antamanek now has his own comedy central show. I don't know if you can necessarily bring in someone like him to do Trump. I don't know if you get a current cast member to do it. I don't know if you just completely ignore it and instead focus on everything else that's going on. I'm not entirely sure, but if we are going to veritably say goodbye to Baldwin as Trump in this next episode, who really has been one of the things to talk about in season 42 for one reason or another, it'll be interesting to see how they take him out in that regard. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I I would hope that because he did it this week, he doesn't beg off next week. I would be shocked if he's not there for this season finale. And, yeah, I think and if, I think he, and he she shows in Wikipedia. So, I mean, granted, Wikipedia is not the most concrete source of information, but I'd like to believe that. Yeah, especially after literally phoning it in during the Chris Pine episode, he'd be able to do the last two weeks in a row. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And of course, there's probably going to be a lot more current events. We've got six more days of a potential craziness for him to want to comment on before uh, the whole summer where he can't uh, weigh in. So we'll see. Yeah, that's crazy. And then, you know, uh, we also might want to talk a little bit as well about maybe not necessarily summer things, but there's a whole weekend update spinoff that I'm sure we can talk about as well. So I am just uh, to quote Donald Trump priming the pump for what's to come next week on the <laughs> SNL podcast. I think you're right. And so we're both looking forward to it. So uh, we will see you guys on Twitter. We'll see you guys on the uh, on the post show recaps uh, web page where we can talk about this, these two episodes and what's coming up next. And we look forward to talking again one more time as we wrap up season 42 of Saturday Night Live. Thank you guys for listening and thank you Mike as always for uh, being uh, my companion on this journey and uh, we'll do it again next week. Sounds good. All right. Have a great night everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.